Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. As I mentioned last week, this is an exciting time as the newsletter has been completely overhauled and the redesign was just recently rolled out. So be sure that you're on the list so you can see the brand new look of that, as well as, of course, all the content published in there every Wednesday. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from just outside of Dallas, Texas, my guest is a recording artist with an amazing comeback story of perseverance and getting back up each time he has been knocked down throughout a music career that began in the late 1980s. Present day, he is about to release a new album next week Friday on June 11th after having released the first single from it in mid-March. There is also a tour currently being planned for him. He's also the author of a book called A Hit with a Bullet, a true story of corruption, greed, and the real murder on Music Row. You've been hearing a song of his called She's Crazy for Leaving. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Sammy Sadler. How you doing today, Bruce? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you, Sammy. Appreciate you making time to do this. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So let's dive right in here and have you tell the audience about the song that was just playing called She's Crazy for Leaving. Well, She's Crazy for Leaving is an up-tempo, feel-good song. It's a a Rodney Crowell guy, Clark song, and, you know, he's kind of telling her, hey, she's crazy for leaving me, you know, and... uh, but you can't you can't stop a woman when she's out of control. <laughs> uh, so that's why that's kind of what the song's about. He's trying to tell her not not to leave him, but you know you can't stop a woman when she's out of control. Now I want the audience to understand this is a remake that Sammy has done of someone else's song, and Sammy, other artists have said that when you record and release remakes of other artists' songs, you do not actually have to get permission from the original artist, correct? That's correct. Okay, okay. Well, what do you think, everyone? Michael Jackson's Thriller, Led Zeppelin II, Abbey Road by The Beatles, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, is one of these the greatest album of all time, or is it something else? Those four and several other albums have been discussed by Derek and Gia Smith on the weekly episodes of their show, called The Greatest Album of All Time Podcast. If you are obsessed with albums, you love dissecting them, listening to them over and over again, and want to hear a couple podcast hosts do the same, then The Greatest Album of All Time Podcast is for you. Each week they pick a famous album, discuss it at length, and decide whether it should be included in the talks of Greatest Album of All Time. Derek and Gia take a deep dive into each album, they have special guests, and a whole lot of fun. Check out the Greatest Album of All Time podcast on Spotify and Podbean. You will be hooked. Sammy, speaking of albums, let's talk about the new release that you have coming out next week, Friday, June 11th. That's going to be the 1989. It's titled 1989, Bruce, and uh, that's that's going to be my new my newest album and uh, 
really excited about it, really uh, uh, excited to get this album uh, out. And explain to the audience why it's called 1989 and also how many songs will be on this release. Well, you know, we were sitting around whenever we was getting ready to uh, try to start work on this project, and um, we were sitting around one night, and, you know, we we just come up with a title, 1989, because that's where my career uh, was kind of derailed and, and, and came a halt to in 1989, March 9th, 1989, and we just ended up uh, naming the project 1989, and uh, putting the album together and going back to an, to that era and uh, putting together this group of songs. Uh, the album is going to have uh, eight songs on it, and the eighth song is a bonus track. And, um, you know, that's kind of how the album came about, okay. um, just going back, to, going back to that era. Okay. And you told the audience that She's Crazy for Leaving, the song that we played at the beginning of the show, is a remake. So my understanding is that all of the songs on your 1989 album will be remakes. Is that even the case with the bonus track as well? It is. Uh, we went back. Uh, every every song on it is is a remake. Uh, they've all uh, been hit records. Uh, I know a place was cut by a friend of mine uh, in the uh, in the 90s and ended up being a single for me. Uh, and a top 15 record uh, for me on the Texas music charts, and uh, I included it and re-recorded it and put it on this uh, album as a bonus track. Okay, okay. Well, I have to ask, how difficult is it to pick, quote-unquote, just eight songs? Because obviously there's so, so much great music that comes out all the time, not to mention even if you just try to limit it to, say, one year of music that was released or two years of music or three years, how tough was it for you to sit down and pick out the eight songs that you wanted to cut for this album? You know, it, it really wasn't that hard for me, Bruce. Mm. Uh, we went back and, uh, you know, obviously Tell It Like It Is uh, is, a, is a song that I recut, and Tell It Like It Is was uh, a song that I had out when my career came to halt in 1989. That was my current single. So I re-recorded it and brought it back, and then I just... You know, I look back on the music from that era, and um, it wasn't that hard for me to pick the songs uh, that really went on this album because uh, it, they're just great songs, and um, some of the artists are, are just friends of mine, and and just timeless music. I, I feel like so it wasn't it wasn't that hard of a a pick for me, really. Okay, okay, and I'm glad to hear you tell that because I think, as you can tell, with myself the initial reaction is, oh my gosh, that has to be just a bear of a project. Someone can probably sit down with a list of 50 songs and say, how am I possibly going to pare that down? So it's nice to see the flip side of the coin where you say, actually, it was quite easy, and it really didn't take me that long to come up with the eight. So good for you to to not have had to wrangle with that for a long period of time. Yeah, you know, when you're when you're cutting albums and and you know when you're doing new albums, but you know for this particular project, I'm I'm gonna say uh, it was fairly easy for me uh, to 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 get these songs and and to pick these particular ones because they're they're personal favorites of mine and and uh, but now if we were working on a new a new project, you know, just like you just said, I mean it, you know, you may you may go through a hundred songs or you may go through. 300 songs to try to find 10. Mm. 
Wow. Wow. Well, I introduced you as being just outside of Dallas. Is that where you do all your recording, for instance, this 1989 album, or do you go to a studio perhaps elsewhere in Texas or maybe even elsewhere in the United States? I, I cut all of my projects in Nashville, Tennessee. Ah, and when and how did you either make that decision or have some sort of connection that you decided that's where I'm going to go record this 1989 album? Well, you know, I, I used to live in Nashville for about six years, so I've got a lot of friends uh, in Nashville, uh, and uh, my producer, my producers in Nashville, so that's it's just kind of. You know, that's my thing to do, you know. I see. So just like, how was it to pick out the songs? It's It really wasn't a tough decision to figure out where I was going to record this new album. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so many artists, Sammy, are doing everything by themselves these days. You just mentioned going to Nashville, and you mentioned a producer, which starts to answer my question, because I was going to ask, is that the case with you? Are you a do-it-yourselfer? Or is this a traditional recording project, your new album, where someone else is producing it, maybe you have your own band, and or you've got some hired guns that play on it, probably someone else who's doing the engineering and so forth? Yes, I mean, I, I'm I'm the executive producer on all of my albums, but uh, I, I work with probably two producers uh, on and off. Uh, Buddy Hyatt uh, produced... Uh, a lot of the tracks on this album and then Greg Cole uh, produced two of my tracks uh, with me on this album so uh, Greg Cole and Buddy Hyatt uh, are who produce my records most of the time and what is the studio in Nashville where you record well when, when me and Buddy went in uh, we went in down to Ocean Way Studios and cut uh, the tracks at Ocean Way and then we ended up going to uh uh, Buddy's uh, Music City tracks uh, to cut the vocals and uh, when me and Greg went in uh, we went and cut tracks at the Freeway Studio and then we ended up going to Greg's at Coal Mine Studios and uh, cutting all the vocals. And that's somewhere that you have gone to before or this was your first time and you just kind of said well this is my guy and I trust him with where he feels is best for us to go. Yeah, with Greg, uh, you know, uh, I knew I knew everything we were doing there. And then uh, with Buddy, uh, Buddy wanted to cut the tracks at Ocean Way uh, there in Nashville, so that's where we went. And obviously, Ocean Way is um, is very well known for many many hit records that's been cut and produced out of there. So we cut the tracks at Ocean Way, and then uh, and then went to Music City Tracks to cut the vocals. Okay. And listeners, if you don't know by now how small the music world really is, as people like myself and Sammy can attest to, it's no coincidence this is just how things happen in the music world. But just two weeks on this show, my guest was Presley Tennant, and who did she say that she works with, among others, than Buddy Hyatt? So here you hear his name coming up again two weeks later. He's was a legendary drummer of Toto, renowned producer, and as you hear, people like Presley Tennant, from episode 380 using him, episode 382, this one here with Sammy Sadler, you hear Buddy Hyatt's name again. So these names, they just kind of keep resurfacing, and obviously these people have a long, long accomplished resume, and you see why. The 
great work that they do with so many artists like Presley with Sammy and so many others. Sammy, what about songwriting? Do you prefer to write by yourself or if not, who do you typically find yourself co-writing with? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of, of the singer entertainer, uh, Bruce. I mean, I do write a little bit and, uh, I, I've co-written a few things, uh, you know, when I if I if and when I do write, I, I usually uh, go to Nashville and and write with uh, some different friends of mine. Uh, when I, whenever I do try to write something. Okay, okay, and listeners, this also gives you a perspective for some of the guests that you hear on the show, some of the songwriters that you'll hear about in general, who will talk about not always so much just writing for themselves and writing songs that they hope to pitch to artists. And so, Sammy, it sounds like you're saying you are one of those artists that you will look for other songwriters to bring potential songs to you to cut at some point. Yeah, I mean, you know, without a song, there's not a singer. And uh, there are so many, uh, you know, I don't want to write or try to write something just to write it, to put on an album to say I wrote it. I, mm. I try to I try to find the best songs and the best material that I can find. And uh, there are so many great songwriters uh, out there. And I go to uh, the ones that I know. And, and, and then, you know, I've got my label people that will go to uh, different writers as well because I try to find the best songs that I can find and songs that I relate to it, you know, with me recording songs, they have to hit me as soon as I hear them or it's not a song for me. So, um, I try to find the best material I can and I don't, I don't want to say, well, I've got to write this song and it's got to be on my album because, you know, there are so many great writers out there. So I look and try to find the best songs that I can find. And if I didn't write it, uh, you know, so be it because, I'm trying to look for the best material I can, and hopefully it'll relate uh, to my audience whenever I get it cut. And Sammy, bravo. That's tremendous. There's no ego there, and I love you saying it's just important to me that the song is good. It doesn't matter that my name is not as the songwriting credit. And unfortunately, there are far too many artists that do want all of the credit, not just for performing the song, but they want to be the writer on it too. So congratulations. That's a tremendous attitude to have and and i can tell that it serves you well because it sounds very authentic well thank you i appreciate that bruce and i love the line that you said that without a songwriter there is no singer because that obviously is a huge part of the equation but i wonder can you just dive into a little further for us a couple of things number one is what does it take for a song to really speak to you when someone's pitching a song to you what are you looking for and number two what are the actual logistics of it? Are you just reading lyrics or is it, no, I actually listened to an MP3 of it because if it's an MP3, I wonder if you are influenced by the person whose demo it is or if it's, no, it's just easier to listen to it instead of just reading lyrics because I need to hear the melody. Well, no, I, I, you know, I have, they send me the songs, uh, you know, they demo the songs and, and, you know, most of the time, they're full demo songs with all the instrumentation and background vocals and wow. and all that uh, on them. Sometimes there may be a guitar vocal or a piano uh, vocal, uh, but 99% of the time it's a full, full-blown production demo uh, that they send me. And uh, the song has got to touch me when I first hear it. And if it doesn't touch me, it goes in the, in the other pile and, 
uh, it's just got to touch my heart. If it touches me, then I know it's going to be able to touch uh, my audience, and I hope that I'll be able to capture uh, what I'm hearing and be able to go in and capture it to where my audience will be able to capture it. Okay, but at the same time, I'm sure that when you say the song has to touch me, that doesn't necessarily mean tug at my heartstrings and be an emotional ballad. It could be an upbeat, happy song that you just say, wow, this is a lot of fun. This song is really connecting with me. I like this one. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I mean. Not not just emotionally, but you know, it's got to touch me, and it's 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 got to uh, resonate with me uh, in order for me to to want to do it. So, is there ever a case of where a song is presented to you and you say, "I like the message of the song. I like the lyrical content. I'm just not sure that this is the style I would perform it in," and maybe consider reworking the style of the song. You know, I've never, uh, there's been some songs sent my way that I like the songs. Uh, they just weren't quite what I thought this see Sammy Sadler is. And I mean, I hate to go back to a writer and, you know, ask them to rewrite something for me because they're the ones that created it. Mm. Uh, and so I just, I just have never really went back and asked anybody to do that. Okay. Okay. Well, just doing my research for this interview and learning about your backstory, I feel like this has got to be a really emotional time for you in terms of anticipation, excitement, what with finally getting a new album out, plus touring, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Am I correct? Yes, sir. You're absolutely correct. I'm I'm uh, so excited to finally be able to have this 1989 album coming out and being released to the world uh, to hear of, um, you know, anticipating uh, this and, and getting it all done has been, um, it's been exciting and fun and uh, just, you know, ready for, for everyone to hear it and, and hopefully everyone will uh, uh, resonate uh, with, with the project and uh, hopefully they'll they'll like what we've done and I hope that I've made uh, some of the the other artists, as we mentioned earlier, these are remakes from from other artists, and so I hope that I've made them proud on what we've done on this album. Mm. And by the way, when was this that you went to Nashville and recorded this album? Well, we 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 got the album finished in uh, in 2019, and then COVID hit, uh. and uh, and and so we've we've gotten we've had everything um, kind of done and finished but with covid uh it's kind of put a damper on things but now that things are are hopefully moving in the direction that things are going to start opening back up we, we've we're, we're, we're moving forward with it great great well, listeners i mentioned back in the intro wow brace yourselves for this story about those trials and tribulations that sammy has gone through like a boxer who keeps getting knocked down but still picks himself up off the canvas you're going to want to be sitting down for this one because it has all the makings of an emotional Hollywood crime drama. But first, I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from just outside of Dallas, Texas, by recording artist Sammy Sadler. Visit his official website at sammysadler.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. On his website, you will be able to keep an eye on where and when he will be performing live. Plus, there is a shop link where presently you can purchase his book and some of his music 
And there are links to Sammy on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. There's also an icon there for Spotify, so you can follow Sammy on that platform. But just streaming his music won't do much for his back pocket. Go to iTunes and pre-order Sammy's new album, titled 1989, and that will be out next week, Friday, June 11th. Some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Sammy. Thank you. But I hope you and even other listeners who are new will check out other episodes of my show. And, of course, that you will hit the subscribe or the follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven-plus years. So do check out some of the 380-plus episodes that have preceded this one. And stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. Sammy, before I have you take over here and tell this story, I've got to say, God bless you, brother. I I imagine it can't be easy for you to tell this story interview after interview, but I hope you see what an inspiration you can be for so many other artists out there who think they should give up, and I applaud you for persevering through all that you're about to tell us about and keeping that music dream of yours alive. So congrats, brother, and, and now... Share, if you would, where you were in your music career, what happened in the crime drama, as I referred to it, and how long it took you to come back to music. Yeah, and I'm, if there's anything, any particular thing that you want to ask me uh, during all this, uh, you know, feel free to do it, Bruce. Okay. And if I get a, if I get a little, you know, if I get a emotional, just, you know, don't worry about it, man, because sometimes I do, but uh, I, I appreciate your kindness and, and your comments and, uh, you bet. Uh, you know, I, I'll just, you know, I got a record deal right out of high school in hmm. 1984. Uh, wow. I was 18 years old, and I was struggling to decide what I was going to do uh, because I was a star athlete in my in my high school, and I had to decide whether I was going to pursue a baseball career or if I was going to pursue a music career. And, wow. At the end of graduation, you know, I asked my parents, I said, you know, what, what what, do you think I need to do? And they said, you do what you want to do. We're here to support you in whatever decision you make. And so uh, I had some uh, colleges looking at me whenever I was a sophomore in high school uh, to play baseball. And so when my graduation day came, I had to make a decision, and I ended up choosing music. And uh, I was uh, – a big Elvis fan whenever I was a little kid growing up and uh as I as I got older uh I started listening to country music and then I just fell in love with country music and uh you know George Jones and um you know Lefty Frizzell, Merle Haggard, all those guys and, and and I just uh fell in love with country music and so my mom and dad as I was growing up, we made trips back and forth to Nashville and um uh, they would bring me up there and we would go, you know, do the sightseeing thing and, you know, do, do like, you know, most people do uh, going to Nashville to, to, you know, be around country music and check out everything. And so by the time I graduated, I, I made the decision and uh, six or seven months uh, after I had uh, graduated, I moved to Nashville and I got a record deal. And uh, back in those days, they wouldn't cut a full length album on you. They would just put out singles on you at the time to kind of see how your singles fared at radio and on the charts before they would really do anything. And they would sign you to these deals called artist development. Uh, 
uh, deals. And so I got signed to a label uh, called Evergreen Records uh, in Nashville, and it was a it was an independent label, but it was one of the biggest independent labels there in Nashville. And at the time, they had Robin Lee there and Narvel Feltz, and uh, they had they had quite a few. Sammy Smith had been on the label, and uh, so it was it was a uh, a good label. And then Robin ended up uh, leaving uh, a little later, and uh, she went on to Atlantic Records and had the big uh, the big record, Black Velvet, but. Um, they had put out, I don't know, five or six singles on me over a course of about two and a half to three years. And in 1989, they had put out Tell It Like It Is was my fastest rising single. And it was the old Aaron Neville song, Tell It Like It Is. And that record started flying up the charts. And uh, they started, you know, rushing and gearing me up to uh, go in and cut the album and get the album done. But on March 9th, 1989, tragedy struck us uh, that night. I ended up uh, being with a friend of mine, Kevin Hughes, and he was the chart manager for Cashbox Magazine back then, and Cashbox was a rivalry to Billboard Magazine, and Kevin was in charge of the top 100 records where they move on the charts on Cashbox, and he was shot and murdered, and I was shot and left for dead. Uh, March 9th, 1989, and my career uh, came to a halt in about seven seconds. Mm. And where was this, in Nashville? This was in Nashville on Music Row, and it became known as the Murder on Music Row. It it went all over the world as the Murder on Music Row, and um, it's just such a tragedy uh, for something like this to happen to uh, two guys, and you know, I didn't even know I was going to see Kevin that night. But um, they said that that all happened in seven seconds. Kevin was shot and murdered, and I shot and left for dead, and it all happened in seven seconds. And it brought my career to a halt. And that night, they ended up taking me to Vanderbilt and operating on me 18 hours oh. uh, under a microscope to repair uh, my arm. Um, so it's been a it's been a very a hard and traumatic ride uh, for me in country music, Bruce. So how long, that was 1989, you obviously are from Texas, so you moved from Texas to Nashville. This happens in March of 89. How long does it take before you finally say, okay, I'm at the point where I can start back into music now? How many years? Well, after the shooting, uh, I had to I had to go through two two uh, major operations on my arm. So mm. it took me that night that, that that happened to us, it took me two years to get back up on my, back up on my feet and go through everything I had to go through with my arm and re- rehabilitate my arm. Uh, so it took me two years to get back to where I could uh, try to go back out on the road. Okay, and so then once you got back out on the road, continue the story from there. Well, you know, we... Uh, we went back. I put a, I put a band together back in 1991, and uh, we went back out on the road. And I never did even try to get another record deal. Really, after that, for a while, we just went out and started working. And I ended up working uh, from 1991 to 1998. Uh, I ended up working 250 to 275 days a year out on the road hmm. uh, without a record deal. We just went out and just uh, started working, started touring again, 
And, uh, you know, with the murder on Music Row and everything that, that happened and uh, what went on uh, with all of that, it took them 13 and a half years uh, to solve the crime and to solve everything. And in that time uh, period, uh, the, the police uh, treated me basically like a suspect mm. uh, and would not tell me or my family uh, anything. And so uh, going back out on the road from 1991 to 1998, uh, I finally in 98 walked away from the music business and shut my, my touring career down uh, because of living under the kind of pressure uh, that we were living under. No one would tell us anything about what was going on with the with the murder, the investigation. Wow. Uh, my family tried to call the police uh, many, many times for the first uh, two years or so. Uh, they wouldn't let us know anything. They wouldn't tell us anything. And uh, again, I, you know, the police uh, made me take a lie detector test. They made me uh, go to Vanderbilt and be hypnotized. They didn't even believe that the guy at Vanderbilt really had me hypnotized, but he told them that I was. I mean, it, it's just the kind of stress and the kind of pressure that I lived under and my family lived under. It just took a toll on me, and I walked away from the music business in 1998, and I walked away from two and a half years of bookings that I was booked up in advance. I just couldn't live under the stress and the pressure uh, of how I was being treated and how I was having to live and was somebody still trying to kill me or was somebody after me, nobody would tell us nothing. So it really took a toll on me. And uh, so it, it was, it's been very hard uh, for us to deal with. So we had just turned over to the 21st century and then I believe you started back into music and did get a record deal in the early 2000s or aughts as they call it is that correct well whenever they finally uh brought all of this to justice and arrested the man that they said was actually the the, the man that pulled the trigger uh after the uh trial and after they convicted him and and uh put him in prison uh, I had a label approach me about doing uh, an album, and uh, so we ended up cutting my Heart on Heart album in 2000. I think it was released in 2004, and uh, they released a couple singles, and uh, we, we had some top 15 records on the Texas music chart, and then the label ended up folding and shutting down, so hmm. kind of left kind of left my album and, and, that, and that music, Unheard, unheard of. Uh, wow, wow. And if all that wasn't enough, fast forward to 2009, and it appeared again as though your recording career was going to end because of a record label, a music company business development. Tell the audience what I'm referring to there. Well, it basically was. Uh, I, I got another record deal uh, on uh, Koch Records, and then Koch transitioned into Audium Records, and Myself and Daryl Singletary and Cletus T. Judd, um, Deborah Allen, David Ball, and Jerry Douglas were all on the, on the same label together. And so Koch signed me, transitioned over into Audium Records, and then Audium Records was sold to E1 Entertainment. And just as we were getting ready 
Well, they put a single out on me and, and uh, just uh, released the album. Audium sold out to E1 Entertainment out of Canada for something like $81 million. And six weeks later, they put a for sale sign in the yard and shut the label down. Mm. All right, let's let's take a break here, Sammy. Are, are, folks, are you digesting all this, audience? Here's a guy, we're in 2021. Here's a guy that got shot in 1989. You heard about 18 hours that he was in Vanderbilt in surgery. You heard about what happened to his arm, two years to recover. He goes and gets back out on the road. He's playing 275 nights a year. It just gets to be too much with all the police stuff going on, and he calls it quits, comes back, record deal, no more record deal, record deal, no more record deal. This guy is, is um, here he is 2021, and he's still going at it. it it's, a, it's an amazing story of, of not giving up. There's so much encouragement that can be taken from Sammy Sadler's story, and it's an important audience that you hear that because of Sammy, what you described, the, the crime drama, as I called it, it's important that the audience hears that because of that, you were battling with PTSD, which I would think certainly can't help someone who's trying to make it in the already challenging business that is the music industry. Well, you know, I really didn't know that I had PTSD until I started writing the book. And, uh, you know, I thought PTSD just dealt with people that had went to war and been in war. But PTSD can affect anybody that has been traumatized by something that has really traumatized them in their life, whether it's a gunshot, if it's somebody that's been raped. Uh, it, it applies to many, many things. Uh, so I learned I learned about it, and I learned about what that was. And, and, and thank God, it's by the grace of God, Bruce, that I'm here. You know, one why one lives and one dies, only God knows that. Uh, Kevin and I have been friends for about seven or eight months, and I know that if this hadn't have happened to us, we would have been lifelong friends. And there's no telling where Kevin could have been in his career. He may have been the head of Billboard magazine today. I mean, uh, he loved doing charts. He loved compiling the charts. And there's no telling where I could have been in my career. So anyone that is out there struggling with something, I don't know what what your struggle may be. Everybody's got a story. Everybody struggles and has things. All I can tell you is that whenever Kevin and I met, we'd known each other seven or eight months, but I didn't know at the time until Kevin had passed away that he was a Christian, and I wasn't saved at the time. And why God saved me and took him, only God knows that. But I'm so thankful that God thought enough of me to save me. I am saved. I am a Christian now. And I thank God every day for saving my life. And he's the only reason I'm here talking to you today. Uh, he's got something for me. I don't know what it is. All I want to do is sing a song and tell my story. And if my story and what I've been through can help someone, then I feel like God has used me uh, to help them. And all I can tell you is turn to him. Look to him. Uh, he will. He has all the answers, and he's all-knowing. He is the true physician, and he can bring you out of any and everything that you're dealing with today if you'll just turn to him. 
Amen. Amen. I couldn't say it any better myself. You're talking to a guy, Sammy, who I've been through two open heart surgeries. I've been through two strokes. I've been in a motorcycle accident. I've been through an emotional divorce. I had COVID. That was pretty bad. And so I hear you. The stuff is you do say, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, (laughs) why does God think so much of me to keep me around? And I always tell myself he must have special plans for me that he let me survive all that in the same case with you with everything that you just testified to. Absolutely, man. He's had his hand on you. And, uh, you know, I just want everybody out there to recognize and know uh, if you haven't been saved yet, God is waiting on you, and God is the one that gives us breath. And just like you, Bruce, God, Bruce, he's he's had his hand on you, man, and he's brought you through so much as well. You've got a story as well, my friend, and thank you for sharing what you just shared with me because I know he's, I know he's been with you or you wouldn't be here, man, after what you just told me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I think it's important, Sammy, that we do one more thing here before we move on. Listeners, I do this show every week for a handful of reasons. Number one is just flat out to entertain y'all. Those of you that just like music or you just like good music interviews in general, I hope you get a lot of enjoyment out of this show. Number two, those of you out there who are aspiring performers and are trying to learn from me and my guests every week, you know that a lot of my questions are designed that way so that you will take something away from this that will help you in your career. But I think number three, and I should probably spotlight this a little bit more, is there is a lot of things out there that are going on that a lot of these guests are involved with that you can learn from that have nothing to do with music, that have to do with your personal life. I'm thinking of two weeks ago when Presley Tennant was on the show and the week before her, Savannah Ray, they talked about bullying, having gone through bullying. They talked about what they're doing to try to be involved with groups that are anti-bullying groups. And now we've got Sammy Sadler here talking about having dealt firsthand with PTSD. And so, Sammy, I wonder, let's educate the audience a little bit, and I'll admit it, even myself, help educate me. I wonder, is PTSD something that once someone has it, you're just always going to have it? Or is it, no, once you get the treatment for it, there are people that are out there that can help you get through what you're dealing with, and it's a thing of the past? You know, that's a good question, Bruce. I mean, I don't know, and and I don't want to mislead anybody because, you know, uh, I don't know if it's something that you have and you have it forever or if there's any kind of treatment that can that can cure it. Uh, you know, I've never I've never went uh, for any kind of treatment. Uh, as I told you, I'm here by the grace of God and, and, and the shape that I'm in and and as solid as I am. All I can do is give praise and glory to God, because he's the one that has sustained me through it all. Okay, okay. I didn't know if you were going to say I spent two years or three years or six months or whatever with a insert professional here, whatever his or her title would be, and, and they helped me move past it or what. But I think this will tie in with what we're talking about. I mentioned this in the intro. A couple of years ago, you ended up writing a book about everything that you went through. The book is called a Hit with a Bullet, A True Story of Corruption, Greed, and the Real Murder on Music Row. Was that therapeutic for you, Sammy? Was it, I just have a good story here? What kind of motivated you to write that book? Well, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to write the book for a long time, and we just ended up finally writing it. And, you know, I just, I want my story to be, you know, told and heard. And, you know, 
I'm not here to bash Nashville at all. I love Nashville. I've got a lot of friends in Nashville. All I'm doing is trying to tell my story of what I lived through through my eyes. You know, the music business is a tough business. And, you know, I haven't created how the music business is run and how careers are made. They created that. All I'm here is to do is to tell my story of what I lived through, through my eyes, and what I know uh, about the business. And if anyone out there is a singer, songwriter, performer, no matter what genre you're in, whether you're in country music, rock and roll, rap, jazz, whatever, get a copy of my book, A Hit With A Bullet, You can get it on my website at sammysatter.com, and I'll autograph it for you. But the book, obviously, the beginning of it is about who I am and where I came from and my journey and my trip to Nashville, me getting a record deal. And and then it goes into the history of country music. It goes into how careers are really made and how they are made not only in, in in the 40s, 50s, 60s, but in today, they, it tells you how careers are made, and then it goes into the trial and the murder on Music Row and all of that. So if you're an aspiring singer, songwriter, performer, I would encourage you to get a copy of my book, and it may help you on your journey whenever you start to go to Nashville or you start to go to New York or you start to go to L.A. to pursue your career. It will help you make decisions uh, on what to do, who to deal with, how to deal with it, and what you need to do. Because as a young kid like me, when I went to Nashville, I, I come from a small town in Texas of about 1,100 people. And to me, I thought, man, you know, all you got to do is be able to sing and, you know, you're going to get a record deal. Well, it doesn't work like that. Uh, there are many, many things that go on um, behind the scenes and things that go on that, that a lot of people out here don't know. Uh, so this book, I feel, will help you uh, on your journey if you're a singer, songwriter, entertainer. And Sammy, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please put me in my place if I'm out of line by saying this, but was there any part of you that said, I want to write this book in part because... The media has a version that they've told, but guess what? There were two people shot that night. One of them is no longer with us, and so he can't tell his side of the story, but I was the other one, so I need to tell my side of what really happened. Well, again, Bruce, I'm, I'm just here to tell my story of what I lived through and what I experienced, and I feel like Kevin... Uh, would want me to tell the story. I feel like Kevin is with me. I'm I'm doing this really for me and him. Uh, I tell you something that really saddened me. Um, a few years ago, I was in Nashville uh, in the studio uh, working on a project, and um, I took a break and I went went out to get me something to drink and fill my car up uh, just to get out of the studio for a few minutes. And I was at a gas station on West End there in Nashville and I heard somebody say Sammy and I turned around and I'm not going to mention his name but he's a very well known record promoter 
has probably promoted over 90 number one singles mm. uh, in his career or more. And him and I have been friends for many, many years, but I haven't seen him in, in, a, in a very long time. And he recognized me uh, at the pump, and I turned around, and uh, he come over there and shook my hand, and he said, man, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing very well, and uh, thank you for asking. And he said, well, i got to ask you something. He said, what would you think of doing something for Kevin and honoring him down here on Music Row? I said, man, I think it's a great idea. Whatever you want to do, count me in. I'll, I'm there. I'll do whatever we need to do. And I went on. We went on about a business, and I didn't see him anymore. Uh, I was in town about a year later for country radio seminar, and I run into him at country radio seminar, and I said, "Man, whatever happened to that deal you asked me about honoring Kevin? Yeah, uh, down here on Music Row." And he said, "Sammy," he said, "Nobody on Music Row wanted to have anything to do with it." Hmm. Wow. And it really, really saddened me and it and it hurt me because here it is this man died for being an honest man and he died for country music and i took a bullet for country music and nobody wants to honor him nobody wants to recognize what happened to him what happened to us and kind of sweep this under the rug whenever it's to me, it's it's one of the biggest black eyes country music industry's ever had. Mm. Mm. And to not recognize a young man that was an honest man, uh, it, it, it it's it's disheartening. Well, listeners, Sammy and I are just meeting for the first time. I can't possibly pretend to know personally every single guest that I interview. Three hundred eighty plus guests, seven plus years of doing this show. So I don't know the story. I just want to be open and honest and genuine as I always try to be and say, I don't know the story, but I'll tell you what, I need to get Sammy's book because it really sounds quite fascinating. And I want to read this for myself. So as he did, I'm going to encourage you as well to get a copy of the book, a hit with a bullet, a true story of corruption, greed, and the real murder on music row. I really need to read that. It sounds like Sammy, I don't know how much you can reveal yet, but just changing the subject here, I did mention back in the intro that a tour is being planned for you for this year. We are. We're. Uh, I've got a tour, uh, Bruce, that I've had for the last couple of years, but due to COVID, uh, obviously we haven't been out on the road at all. So we're revamping everything, and myself, uh, Ken Mellons, and Davis Daniel. Uh, we're all coming out together on one bus and one band called Taking the Country Back. And uh, if anybody wants to book that show or bring us into their hometown or if they've got a festival or a fair or whatever going on and they'd like to bring us and hear a real good country music show, uh, you know, you can go to my website at sammysadler.com and uh, send us a message or you can go to my Facebook and direct message me there. Uh, it's the official Sammy Sadler, the one with the blue check, uh, or you can go on my website and go to my manager and uh, email him. Uh, we'd be glad to come and, and uh, play for the folks and all the people out there because that's what we love to do. Uh, whenever we step on that stage for that 90 minutes is is uh, is 
I, I can't explain the kind of feeling uh, that that we get whenever we take the stage to go out and perform uh, for the folks. Uh, it's something that we love to do, and we love to come out and see everybody and shake their hand and take pictures with them. So anybody that would love to see that tour, uh, please get in touch with us. We'd love to see you. Well, and folks, now you understand why earlier I asked Sammy, this has to be an emotional and exciting time for you, the anticipation. Now that you've heard his story, everything he's been through, you can understand why he's saying that he so looks forward to stepping on stage. Now you can understand the excitement that I felt he probably has for finally being able to put this album out. You hear his story and you say, my gosh, what a release of emotions this has to be for him. Releasing an album, getting a tour planned, stepping on stage in front of fans face-to-face once again. So I encourage you to keep up with him online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live and share in that emotion with him. We're going to close with another song from Sammy, one called Bluest Eyes in Texas. Before I let you go and I play that song, though, Sammy, share with the audience all about what they're about to hear. Well, this particular song, Bruce, was a number one record for the group Restless Heart. And uh, another one of my favorite songs. And uh, so I uh, enlisted this song on the album, and uh, it's out uh, right now. Uh, And Larry Stewart uh, with Restless Heart came in and sang sang with me on this record. Uh, So you'll be hearing Larry sing this song with me. And uh, just a, you know, uh, one of the iconic voices in country music. How does that happen? Who gets the idea? Who makes contact to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'd love to have you come and, and sing on this with me. Well, you know, between me and the record label, uh, uh, that's how all of that came, uh, you know, uh, to pass for the album. I mean, uh, if you don't mind me mention, uh, mentioning it, like I said, uh, The Bluest Eyes in Texas is featuring Larry Stewart of Restless Heart. Uh Another song on the album, The Church on the Cumberland Road, is featuring Marty Rayburn of the of the hit group Shenandoah. And then I've got T. Graham Brown uh, as well with me on the album. So uh, this, if you like 80s and 90s country music, this is an album that I would tell everybody to go and get because this is some of the best music of the 80s. Uh, and nineties that that I think that was uh, ever ever made and ever produced, and it's all remakes of number one records uh, from that era, except Tell It Like It Is, that was a number one record in nineteen sixty six for Aaron Neville. So it sounds like you're talking about three duets that are going to be on this nineteen eighty nine album. Is that a case of well, somebody knew someone from Shenandoah, someone knew someone, et cetera, et cetera, or is it a case of you know what, Bruce? We just thought it would be cool, and what's the worst that could happen? They say no. Well, you know, we've all run it. We've all run into each other out on the road, and T. Graham Brown's a friend of mine. And okay. The label, uh, the label uh, uh, put put Larry and. Uh, and Marty on the the record with us, and but we've all ran across each other out on the road uh, touring, you know. Okay, okay. And I also ask that so that it is a teaching moment for the aspiring listeners who are saying, well, how do I get someone like that to sing on my album? But I also want you all to understand that you don't sit there and say, gee, it would sure be great to have Luke Bryan sing on a song with me. It's like, yeah, everybody (laughs) thinks that, but, you know, unless you have a direct connection, Luke Bryan is not going to sing on your album with you. (laughs) 
Yeah, you got you got to have a little connection. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Well, Sammy, congratulations. Best of luck with the new album. Hope you get lots of shows out there on the road this year, and thank you so much for coming on Now Here This Entertainment. Bruce, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for the interview, and I hope uh, I hope your audience will enjoy it, and uh, I hope that any anyone that is wanting to be in the music business, again, uh, I'm not trying to push my book, but I believe it's got information in there that will help you and steer you along your way uh, if you make the choice to try to go professionally and want to make a living in this kind of business. I believe that book is for you uh, and, and will help you along your journey. Well, I don't blame you. Don't apologize for pushing your book because that's what you should do. And like I said, you have me convinced. I, I want a copy of that book. So I hope a lot of the listeners want a copy of it now, too, that they've heard about it. In the meantime, listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to recording artist Sammy Sadler. Visit his official website at sammysadler.com. Again, I will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you land on his website, you will see menu options such as shows, so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live, and a shop menu option where presently there is the ability to buy his book and some of his music. Also on SammySadler.com, look for the social media icons to engage with him that way. This morning, I followed him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm sure Sammy would appreciate it if you would do the same. He also has a new YouTube channel that I'm sure he'd love for you to subscribe to. For that matter, tell Sammy you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember, you can also follow Sammy on Spotify, but the better way to support him is to purchase downloads of his music. His new album, 1989, comes out next Friday, June 11th, and is available now on iTunes for pre-order. As I mentioned earlier, some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Sammy, and I thank you for that, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new-ish will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you'll hit the subscribe or the follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. For now, that will do it for episode 382. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Sammy Sadler. This is the one he just talked about called Bluest Eyes in Texas. That lonesome Texas sun was setting slow And in the rearview mirror I watched it go I can still see the wind in her golden hair I close my eyes for a moment I'm still The bluest eyes in Texas are haunting me tonight. Like the stars that fill the midnight sky, her memory fills my mind. Did I go wrong? Did I wait too long? Or can I make it right? The bluest eyes in Texas Another
Stars that fill the midnight sky 